Every damn day, sitting on that site, in the car park, on lunch, on my lunch break, waiting to go back to the site. It was raining down, mucky mud, early mornings. Um, I always visualized climbing the ladder of the fight game and, and reaching the pinnacle. I'm just a kid that defied the odds. I'm just a kid that ignored the doubt. I'm just a kid from Crumlin, Dublin, a little, a little place in Dublin, Ireland, that went all the way. So I'm going to continue to go all the way. That's the current UFC lightweight champion of the world, Conor McGregor. Welcome to SC Featured. I'm your host, Jen Latta. In this episode, ESPN's MMA writer, Brett Okamoto, explores Conor McGregor the man, the working-class hero of Dublin, the person behind the persona you see standing in front of thousands of cheering fans. It all started on July 14, 1988, as his dad, Tony, reminisces about the day Connor was born. Connor was born in Dublin City in one of the National Maternity Hospitals here in Dublin, uh, Hollis Street Hospital, July 1988. It was an uneventful uh, delivery, apart from the fact when uh, when he was delivered, uh, the midwife turned to my wife and said, uh, this, this guy is going to be a boxer because he came out of the womb with his fists clenched. So he was destined to be, to be a fighter, I think. Connor's childhood started as any other in Ireland, getting involved in sports, football to be exact, or soccer as we call it in America. Football is very big over here. That's why the first thing you do is kick a football. Um, so I was no different. It's in culture, you know, wherever you grow up, there are certain things that you that are put upon you, and football is one of the things that's put upon people. It's part of culture here. Prior to his boxing uh, foray, he played football, soccer. And, uh, you know, we got him all the kit involved, you know, the football kit and the boots, the whole lot. So we had all the kit and um, he played with the local kids club. And um, and when he went boxing, I remember he turned to us and says, why didn't you put me in boxing earlier? So you just don't know with kids, you know what I mean? They'll always find their niche. Uh, and then when Connor found his niche in, in combat, he knew that was for him. And he knew there was no going, no other sport interested him from that point on. Boxing was his first sporting discipline. So he started boxing maybe, wasn't too young, it would have been sort of double digits, like 10, 11, when he went, went to the boxing gym. He would have fallen under the tutelage of Phil Sutcliffe. He's a... Uh, Phil is uh, renowned, he's a renowned boxing coach. He has decades of experience in coaching. He's an amateur boxing champion himself. So he would have come, come under uh, Phil's tutelage in the Crumlin Boxing Club. I had many fights growing up, as most young boys do from where I'm from and around this area. Get into fights. I don't know which one. I won some and I lost some. Probably equal amounts of wins and equal amounts of losses. The Dublin neighborhood of Crumlin is gritty with pockets of gang and drug violence. It can be a tough town where you have to be able to fight. And Connor knew when he had to fight. 
His personality was fairly quiet personality. Although he was quiet, he, he did have leadership uh, qualities within him because whenever he was running with the boys, he was the sort of leader of the pack. You know, you know, all all his sort of uh, buddies would have looked to him. You know, if something happened, he, he would have been the one that would have made the decision. As young as he was, he would have been the one that would have made the decision for the boys. You know, like let's get the hell out of here or let's hold our ground. Connor comes from a working class family. His father, Tony, worked nights as a taxi cab driver in Dublin, usually 12 to 14 hour shifts. They wanted to provide for their family any way that they could. In his school days, uh, when he was leaving school, he thought he'd never leave school anyway, by the way. He thought he'd never get out of school quick enough. School wasn't for him. Academia was never for him. So he thought he wanted to go into the working arena. So he left school as quick as he could, and uh, he got a job in the plumbing trade as an apprentice. He was a first-year apprentice plumber. And that's a tough job. Being an apprentice in any trade is a tough job because you're sort of like the dog's body around, you know. You're the one that's going to get all the, all the dirty jobs and the messy jobs. Plus, he was on a site up in County Wicklow at the foothills of the mountains. So in a winter up there, you'd really feel the cold. You'd have that icy, cold wind blowing down the mountains. And he was on a mucky, wet, damp, miserable site. So he spent, I think, the first year on that site pretty miserable. I don't think he realised what work actually meant. <laughs> so when he, uh, he, just, he just wasn't happy there. And plus it was a huge distance for him to travel from our home in Lucan village to the site in County Wicklow. In Ireland it's culture. It's part of the culture. If you're not going to college as a young man, you go and you get a trade. Doesn't matter what that trade is, doesn't matter whether you like it or not. You get on that building site and you walk, and that's, that's just the way it was for me. I didn't want to go to school, didn't want to go to college, so I was thrown into a plumbing trade. Give a shit about plumbing, didn't know anything about plumbing. And I just went on that site because culture told me that that's what I have to do. So my concern was, what is he going to do now for the future? At this stage, he would have been 17, 18. And I thought, you know, work doesn't suit him. You know, I just, at that moment, I thought, I didn't know what he was going to do, to be honest with you. Every damn day, sitting on that site, in the car park, on lunch, on my lunch break, waiting to go back to the site. It was raining down, mucky mud, early mornings. Um, I always visualised climbing the ladder of the fight game and, and reaching the pinnacle. So I'd done it for a while and then I realised this is not what I want to do. Like, this is not what I want to do and what the f*** am I doing it for? That's that and I walked out 18 months in maybe. Fast, fast. 
fast, 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 chest up, chest up, chest up, come on, fast, 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 keep that I'm from, you must learn how to defend yourself as a young man, yes. So that is originally why I got into the self or into combat sport. It's why most young boys get into co uh, combat sport is to be able to defend themselves. That or they were born into it. Their father does it. But if their father does it, it was probably reason one why he got into it to defend himself. So I was no different. I got into it to learn how to fight. Um, that's that's why I walked into my first combat gym. <laughs> After Connor walked away from his plumbing apprenticeship, he devoted himself to the fight game. He had his first amateur MMA fight when he was 18 years old, winning by TKO in the first round. He only had that one amateur fight in 2007 and then went pro. Prior to being signed by the UFC in 2013, Connor's professional record was 12 and 2. And in 2013, he made his UFC debut. A decade after turning pro in MMA, Connor is now worth millions with sponsorships and endorsements. Connor still has not changed and has not forgotten where he came from. Them Irish jeans are good. They've served me well. We are, we are made tough. We are, we are made of steel. So um, I've no doubt the blood on my jeans, the, the Irish blood in me has definitely stood to me. Um, my family's lineage, we are, we are warriors, the McGregor clan are warriors all through the, you know, we are, we are famous all through the world for our fighting capabilities of all generations. So, uh, I've no doubt that stood to me and that led me down this path and gave me what I have, but, um, of course, focus, dedication, that has helped. When we come back, You'll hear from ESPN senior writer Wright Thompson, who recently spent time with Connor and traveled to Crumlin while working on a story for ESPN.com and ESPN the magazine. But first, if you're listening in Apple Podcasts, leave us a rating and a review. If you like what you hear, make sure you're subscribed so we're easy to find next time. And if you subscribe in the ESPN app, we can send you an alert whenever we have a new episode. We'll be back in just a moment. Welcome back to SC Featured. Brett Okamoto caught up with Wright Thompson to talk about Wright's trip to Connor's hometown. All right, I want to welcome in Wright Thompson. He's the author of Crossing Crumlin Road, the uh, outstanding feature about Connor McGregor, which was the cover story of the ESPN magazine. Wright, uh, let's get started with, with your time in Dublin. Just how would you characterize that city, your experience in it, and um, you know, researching this story, of course? Well, part of Dublin, the part that I'd seen before, is is beautiful and lovely, and I can't wait to go back to. Uh, the part where Conor McGregor is from is a neighborhood called Crumlin, which, most importantly for our discussion here, has been the neighborhood where much of the two biggest feuds in gangland Dublin over the last 17 years have been started, incubated, continued, whatever the, the word you want to use. And so... Connor grew up training in the boxing club with a lot of people who would later become known uh, to people all over the city for their involvement in Dublin's growing you know, gangland issue. So it, it is a tough neighborhood. 
It's a neighborhood that uh, Phil Sutcliffe, the, the boxing coach at the Crumlin Boxing Club where Connor first started to train, he grew up in the next neighborhood over, uh, which is called Drimna, and he described as a kid having to fight his way across the Crumlin Road until he just beat up enough people that they stopped messing with him so he could just go and train at this other boxing club. I found Dublin to be, you know, a very parochial place and one where there are a lot of different Dublins and they don't often see each other or speak to each other clearly. Basically, I went around with a bunch of people who were from there who made introductions, who told me about their lives. And so I, you know, the only way to really get to know a neighborhood is to spend time in it with people who were from there as they describe what their experience was. Right. What can you tell us about just the average person living in Crumlin? You know, look, it's hard to say this is this is the sort of archetype of Crumlin. Certainly, it's a blue-collar neighborhood. Certainly, Connor's family and his friends are very typical of the place. You know, his dad worked in a factory. His dad uh, drove a taxi. You know, when Connor started working, he started working as a plumber. And if he wouldn't have been a mixed martial artist and he would have stayed a plumber, he would have lived the rest of his life either in Crumlin or someplace like it. It's also very interesting that his family moved out of there. And one of the reasons, according to people we talked to, was to give Connor some distance from the, the gang culture and the drug culture that was such a part of his daily life. What is Crumlin's feeling towards Connor? Is is his photo in every single every single window? That, no, I mean, it's much more it's much more low key and sort of less movie ish than that. But I mean, he is beloved in working class Dublin. I mean, that's you know full stop. I mean, those are his people. When I was describing to him what people in various neighborhoods had said about him, he said that literally gives me chills. Like. Mm-hmm. He is aware of how he is seen in that world. I mean, there's a huge difference in working-class Dublin between how they look at, say, Conor McGregor and, I don't know, Rory McIlroy. You know, those are very, very different people who evoke very, very different reactions. When you tell Conor what these people say about him, it gives him chills. Can you give us an example of that? What, what are the words that they use to describe the guy? He's proof that there is something other than the way it's always been that if you live, you know, north inner city Dublin, you know, here is this person who looks like you and talks like you and is from a place like you who is not apologetic, who is not sort of keeping his head down, but who is pounding on his chest and literally fighting his way to a different life. I mean, that resonates. The gang uh, situation in Crumlin, um, the drug dealing, what was that the biggest threat to Connor? who he is and, and where he's risen today? And if so, what enabled him to avoid taking that path? I think that's certainly a hole he could have fallen into. The other hole is sort of is less sexy but more pervasive, which is you just get a regular job and that you don't care about and you work every day at it for 30 years and you look up and you're 50 and your life is gone. And I think both of those were potential endings for Conor McGregor that he didn't want and he didn't choose either one of those I mean there's willpower involved in not going down either of those roads it's a different kind of willpower but I think not doing both of those things is very related 
My family are working people. They're working their whole life. Um, so that was it. They, they worked very, very hard to give me a good life and to help me and to provide for me. So I'm extremely grateful, and that's why I come back around. And now, now, now they put their feet up, now they relax. You know when you're broke as a motherfucker and you haven't even got a job and you haven't got 10 cents in your pocket, I always used to visualize giving back. Not even, I used to visualize getting stuff for myself and getting all these nice luxury things and be able to do whatever I want. But one of the things I found that was a strong feeling for me is when I visualized giving back. I visualized being able to give back to the people that have given me so much. That would give me like goosebumps. Sometimes I'd be driving down to the gym thinking of what it'd be like just to roll up to my family with like, and take every bill off their hands. So it's something I've visualized for many years. It was it gave me a good feeling. So when I had the opportunity to do it, I done it. I've always gotten the sense being around Connor as as someone who covers mixed martial arts that he is grateful for what he has. And he says that in interviews sometimes. In other interviews, he's got his persona on and he's trying to sell a fight. But when he's being serious, Connor, he does seem that he remembers where he came from and he's grateful for it. Was that your impression of him? There's this moment uh, in the story just before he left for the media tour. He was at his house in Dublin. Uh, he lives in the K Club, if anybody ever remembers that Ryder Cup that was there. And a guy brings over a gift, and it's a chess set that's made out of plumber's supplies. And the whole thing is just this metaphor for the life he left and the one he's chasing. And when Connor saw it, the thing he said to the artist named Trevor who made it was, I'm so grateful. And you could just feel that that's true. When you met Connor and you, you presented him with all of this research you had done, you know, all of these facts about, uh, you know, the, the gang violence yeah. around where he's from, did he raise an eyebrow and say, wow, I, I was not anticipating this? Or do you think in his head he always kind of knew that somebody would write a story that, that sort of profiles exactly where he came from and some of the things that he saw as a youth? What, what was his reaction to all of that? He seemed surprised. And I think this close to a fight, nothing exists but the moment. So, I mean... What he was expecting, I don't know if right now he's expecting anything about anything. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's the fight's awful close. When I got to Dublin, it was clear that a main character in his story is Crumlin. And that would have been the same regardless of who he was fighting. I mean, the attention he's getting is probably new. Although, I mean, it's sort of like, you know, terminal velocity you know you can't go any faster hmm. so he's already been super famous so at some point i mean is this does this really feel different or does it just feel like more of the same to him i mean i don't you'd have to ask him i don't know but i, I imagine i mean i wonder if this feels different to him i am who i am at different times i am human everyone's different around in different situations so it's no act there's no act here i just am who i am in different if i'm surrounded by a different environment if a guy i'm supposed to fight is right there it brings out different emotions so i just react how i react and trust that that is who i am at that moment you know Did you get the perception from him that he truly believes he can win this fight, that he will win this fight? Yes, I absolutely think he thinks that. I mean, you've been around him. It's hard to quantify, but there is this very real palpable confidence 
that just sort of rolls off of it. Like, if I were super hippie and, like, went to Sedona and believed in crystals and shit, <laughs> you would say he had an aura, you know? Mm, yeah. Like, there's a life force at work there. That, that That's really clear. Was there ever a moment during all this when you were talking to someone, regardless of who it was, and said, oh, wow, this this is fantastic stuff? I'm, I'm sure there was a lot of it because the piece is, is full of moments like this. But was there one that stuck out where you oh, said... There, yeah, there's this great moment where I'm over uh, near Sheriff Street in North Dublin, and all these guys are describing how Connor made a wrong turn on their street, and it's a dead-end street, and uh, he drove past them, and they all got out in the middle of the street, and then Connor comes flying ass back down the road, and they're jumping all out of the way, and they were all like, oh, man, they all had their phones out. Like, they just wanted to take his picture, and it really speaks to... Like we were talking about earlier, the working-class hero in a working-class city, everybody is just, it's, you know, it's like seeing Santa Claus. You know, right, during your time with Connor or perhaps during your conversations with those who knew him well, does he have a soft spot? What is what is his soft spot if he has one? Well, if you see the picture of him and that little boy, that's clearly it. I mean, he clearly adores Connor Jr. And, and I mean, I, I don't think that makes him unusual i think every father would say that but i'd have to say hearing the way his voice changes when he talks about the life he wants for his son it certainly hit my soft spot right thank you so much for the time it was a phenomenal piece i would encourage any of the listeners out there who haven't seen it go pick up an issue of the espn mag right thank you so much oh anytime and i i'll see you next time in las vegas we'll go to the italian american club and burn it down there he is, the one and only Wright Thompson joining SC Feature. Thanks again, Wright. Thanks, guys. Ryan Rosillo is host of the Ryan Rosillo Show here at ESPN. And recently you found yourself in Ireland with some time to kill. What was your experience like? It was a great trip, uh, Jen, because I was coming back from Italy, and then I had a 24-hour layover in Dublin, and I go, okay, do I want to do this at the end of the trip? And then I thought, like, yeah, this is going to be great. I've never been to Ireland. Uh, it ended up being my birthday, and the thing is, is I'm a huge Conor McGregor fan. I've flown out to Vegas to watch him fight. I even stopped in Vegas once just to watch him fight by himself, and the support that he had in the arena, and it was a fight against somebody who wasn't that far away. He was, he was from Southern California, and he's fighting McGregor in Vegas, and you would have thought he was fighting in downtown Dublin. I mean, it was overwhelming, and I, uh, overwhelmingly an Irish crowd, and I was like, this is incredible, and I'd start asking people, like, you know, where are you guys all from? And they're like, oh, we're from Dublin. I'm not going to, I'll spare you the accent, even though I kind of deep down really want to do it. And so then when I'm walking around Dublin Center, because he's not that far from outside in another county, uh, I'd be like, what do you think? What do you think of this whole thing? And people love talking about Connor. And I would ask them, like, where's soccer? Where's hurling? They'd be like, look, it's hurling. It's soccer. And they'd be like, well, what about McGregor? they go, oh, okay, well, that's something different. they go, well, McGregor fights, the streets close, and people are running around. It'll be 4, 5 a.m., and, like, the city, absolutely, Ireland, completely stops. So you want to talk long-term in the team sports and the stuff that people from Ireland love? That, that's fine. But right now, McGregor, as you'd expect, is is that guy, and everybody you run into has their McGregor encounter, their story, maybe overselling how close they actually are as a friend of the guy. Of course, that always happens. But how do you explain, or how did they explain, why he's so beloved? One of my cab drivers, all right, so I, I was in the cab, and I go, you know, I just wanted to ask everybody about McGregor. And I, I asked the guy, I go, hey, you know, what do you, what do you think? And it was great, too, because he, he was just... 
I go, what do you think? Do you think he can beat Mayweather? And he's like, uh, it's the longest pause ever. And he goes, I don't. I don't. <laughs> you know, and I'm like, <laughs> okay. I'm like, you know, because I was afraid when I got over there that everybody was just going to say, oh, McGregor's got him. He's going to beat him. I'm like, man, this isn't exactly easy. And I said, well, what do you think of the whole thing? He goes, oh, you know, he goes, I love him. He goes, I love Conor McGregor. He goes, he's, he's mates with my nephew. He goes, he was an apprentice plumber. And he's like, actually, he was an out-of-work apprentice plumber. He goes, he used to work on a job site with my nephew. They kept in touch. And and Connor is this success story that I think all of us wish, no matter where we're at in life, we all wish we kind of had this ability to go, I know that this may be the short-term wrong decision, but I have to be somebody else. I'm choosing a different path for myself, and this is who I want to be. And that's who Connor was, is this guy going, I don't want to be a plumber until I'm 50-something years old. So even though everybody in the immediacy goes, what are you, nuts? You're going to go be a fighter? Like That is going to be your profession? And then it turns into this, that he was picking up a welfare check not that far removed from his first ever professional fight, that he's even referenced this. Like That is that that fighting spirit, that us-against-the-world spirit that the island of Ireland, like when you look at Irish history, like I think that's why they look at him and being like, this guy completely symbolizes the fight that we feel like we've always been in if you're a person from Ireland. We'd like to thank Ryan Rossillo for sharing his story of his adventures in Ireland, as well as Wright Thompson for taking the time to share his stories. And a huge thanks to Brett Okamoto. Make sure to listen to his podcast, Five Rounds. That's going to do it for this episode of SC Featured. Remember to subscribe by going to the Listen tab of the ESPN app or download it on Apple Podcasts. This episode was produced and edited by David Pierpont, field producing by Michael O'Connor and Nancy Devaney. And I'm your host, Jen Latta. Before we go, here's a few more words from the UFC champ himself on what he expects will happen to boxing after he knocks out Floyd Mayweather. Thanks again for listening. There's a new god, there's a new king of boxing, and that's it, and you're looking at him. So nothing happens to the great sport of boxing, the sweet science. It's simply a new man that people will study and learn from and that will carry the torch, and that's it.